hey, hey! Welcome to Right in Your Mind. I'm Wilson. My job is to break down lessons and insights from changemakers in the mental health space, including experts, investors, and founders. So today we'll be talking to Ian Fagan. Ian is the co-founder of Skodal, a venture-backed leading well-being platform for school communities, built with renowned educational psychologist Andrew Fuller to help students understand their emotions and create a personal plan to navigate their way to better well-being. Ian co-founded Skodal with his twin brother Julian, and prior to Skodal, they founded a previous business called HSC Study Buddy, which was acquired in a trade sale. This podcast particularly meant a lot to me since Skodal does target youth mental health, which is such an important topic. And Skodal is a tool which I sometimes wonder would this have helped me and my peers back when we were in high school. So we talk about Ian's journey, his own struggles with mental health, how he built HSC Study Buddy out of high school, dealt with that, and transitioned into building Skodal with Julian, how they handled the early stages of Skodal, and how they knew when to raise a funding round. I really enjoyed this conversation and hope you do too. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Ian Fagan. Hope you enjoy. Hey Ian, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Hey Wilson, it's uh, great to be on here. For our audience, I'm aware that you've founded a company called Skodal, which is a wellness check-in tool for schools. Um, would you mind maybe running over the kind of general rundown? What is Skodal? Yeah. Sure. Um, Skodal is a, a wellbeing platform, as you mentioned, and it launched as a check-in tool which was designed to help students reflect on their emotions and learn how to manage them in the moment. So those tricky school moments that we all go through, whether it's being worried about an exam, how do you manage those situations, um, and just generally encouraging that process of actually taking a moment to reflect on your emotions and what they're telling you. So that's where it started, and um, I mentioned just before we, we jumped on, Wilson, we're now launching a wellbeing planning tool as well, which will launch in, in November, and that is, I guess, more longer term. So in the moment, you obviously have tricky situations that you might manage that are causing all sorts of funny emotions, and you're not sure what to do or how to manage them in that particular moment, um, and, and let's use exam stress and being worried about the exam. That might be because you're really focused on outcomes and generally you're a really sort of outcome-focused person and that can create anxiety and worry for a lot of people. So it, the wellbeing planning tool then allows people to go, okay, we need to start setting some goals here, which might be habit goals around changing the perspective on how you're viewing things. So let's focus on processes rather than outcomes and remind yourself every every two weeks, say, let's do that. And you add that to your wellbeing plan and the idea is that by making these small adjustments in ways of thinking or behavior through your wellbeing planner, you'll start to see that become less of a, a troubling moment for you in your life, these sorts of regular things that do pop up. Yeah, so that's actually really interesting because you mentioned that Skodal has a wellbeing tracker tool and now you guys are about to launch a planning tool as well. I'm curious, how do those two interplay and feed off each other? How does the entire process work, say when you first sign up with a school? Yeah, that's a very good question because we do see them as very complementary towards each other. One of the things about our emotions is that they are always telling us something. Um, that we're not always able to, I mean, certainly can't always control what emotions we feel. Things happen and then it sort of brings up a concern, anger, these sorts of things. And in the moment, we can't necessarily control that 
that particular thing, but what we can do is learn from it. Why did I feel that particular way? And you, if you go on that path of self-discovery by reflecting on your emotions, you learn a lot about yourself and you'll start to recognize things in you that you go, okay, maybe I need to start to work on these particular areas. And the way that Skodal set up is we'll ask a question around how are you feeling today, encourage them to actually think about and label accurately what their emotion is and then what's behind that. So what are the situations, events, things going on in your life that are contributing to that emo that particular emotion? So if you're constantly worried about friendships or feeling angry toward friendships, we have a planning, in our planning area, we have connections and that's all about our connections with others. And so we can start to then suggest goals to students to help them make small changes in their lives that can help them in those particular areas, um, whether it's connections or getting enough sleep, for example, which is a common one as students hit adolescence. You'll see that feeling fatigued, tired because of lack of sleep comes up quite a lot. But basically, how do we sort of start to make changes now in the planning tool, long-term changes, not just in the moment, but long-term to um, start to improve that particular area. So they're very complementary, we feel. This is particularly important in youth mental health as well. In that very, very formatory period of your life where you're going through a lot of changes and especially in high school. So I'm curious, how does SCODEL try to manage the fact that I guess youth mental health is, health is very, very multifaceted and there are lots of different things going on? Is it self-check-in? Are, are there any psychologists involved? Yeah, we, we work with um, a psychologist by the name of Andrew Fuller, who's also an author, and he's just launched his book, actually, um, A to Z of Feelings. So a lot of that work that he's done over the years around feelings and well-being planning, we've incorporated as much of that as we can into SCOTL. And to answer your question, you know, how do you combat that? I guess there is no silver bullet. So not, you know, there's not going to be one thing that works for absolutely everyone. And, and we don't profess to be the answer to all sort of mental health challenges that, are, that our young people are facing. But we hope that through encouraging people to notice their emotions, learn about their emotions, reflect on them, what they're saying, how to manage them, and create their own personal plan to take more ownership of their own well-being to improve their own well-being, that we can make a, a pretty big dent in terms of, uh, well, a, a positive impact rather, in terms of that mental health challenge that, that we certainly see playing out right now for our young people. Yeah. One other thing that really, really interests me about SCODL is, again, the fact that it targets schools and you guys are selling directly to schools. And I know that for myself, back in, say, high school, around year 10 was one of the most difficult periods for me. And I can really see how a tough period in high school could lead someone to go pursue this path. So I'm quite curious, how much has personal experience played a factor in SCOTL if we had to take a trip down memory lane? No, uh, quite a lot. Um, it, my own personal um, battles with mental illness going through school piqued a lot of curiosity about it. I learned a lot about myself. I also, as, as you, you know, Wilson, I, I founded SCOTL with Julian, my twin brother, and I went through that battle with Julian by my side as basically sort of an outlet, if you like, to be able to share how I was going. And so I was able to talk through my emotions, what I was feeling and whether it was good or bad or anything in between. And I found that process very, very therapeutic. Um, and it wasn't necessarily that Julian needed to respond with anything that was going to, going to fix me in inverted commas. It's certainly not the case, but it's, um, it's more that process of being able to talk it out. Um, and so for us, we wanted to ensure that young people had that outlet 
as well to be able to reflect on it and then get that sort of understanding of, of what might be going on because that intellectual understanding is really important. Why, why am I feeling this way is a challenging question to answer sometimes. And so helping them have that outlet that can be really therapeutic on, it, on its own without necessarily needing much of a response. I mean, we certainly do have responses there to help them manage their situations and emotions that they're, they're facing. Um, but I think that outlet of initially prompting people to go, okay, I'm going to talk about my emotions is is really important because I had joy and so I felt comfortable. So not everyone finds that connection that they feel comfortable doing that or can do it at, at any particular time. And Jules was obviously sort of always by my side, really. So he was always there to be able to do that. And so that was really, really helpful and, and really shaped a lot of our initial thinking around Skodal. Yeah, staying on that theme, you mentioned that Julian has been really, really key in helping you maintain your own mental health and especially throughout the high school journey. I know for myself that I didn't really have a twin brother or anyone else who was there to be able to vent to, talk to, etc. So for me, I had a long period at a high school where things weren't going well and I had to climb my way slowly back up. How was that process transitioning from out of high school? How did you go from, I guess, having some mental health issues or struggles in high school and deciding to go into the startup route? How did that process come about? Yeah, I mean, I had generally always been pretty passionate about the idea of running my own business um, and starting a, a business with Julian. And when we first left high school, we went through obviously HSC uh, and we felt like there was a, it's a pretty, pretty stressful year for, for kids. And we thought that, you know, there was, there was a bit of work that could be done in terms of giving everyone access to resources that could be really helpful. So at the time, there was a board of studies, B-O-R-E, play on the words there which 90s babies will definitely and 80s babies will remember and that was really sort of a ragtag of anyone could upload resources and so there wasn't necessarily any quality or vetting of quality and we felt like it would be really beneficial if HSC students could have access to a vetted library of resources and so we started on our first um, venture with a company called HSC Study Buddy, which was an online resource library for, for kids going through HSC that worked with um, previous top-ranking students um, who had done a really good job on creating helpful resources um, that were aligned to the curriculum. And so that's where our, our journey in education started. It actually was in the academic realm. And so we we started that pretty much straight after high school, really. Um, and, you know, we were very sort of young, naive about everything and I guess we also felt like we knew everything it was just um, gonna be let's just go hammer and tong at this and that's sort of both a, a good and a bad thing you know there's, there's no fear no planning all that you just run out and go, <laughs> go wild with it and so yeah it was a really interesting sort of five or six year journey there as well. So let's explore that a little bit because I feel like that could lead us to some interesting topics. Straight out of high school going and deciding to instead of maybe going down what most would say the well-beaten path of going and maybe go to corporate, be a teacher, etc. You went and founded HSC Study Buddy alongside Julian. Did you go to university at all? What was that process like seeing, a lot of, I guess, a lot of your peers traveling a completely different road? Was that hard? Was that difficult? How did you handle that? Yeah, I did go to university. And I'm, if I'm honest, I wasn't necessarily initially feeling like I was fitting in. But um, I made a change to my course and felt much more connected to that learning. And so, you know, I ended up 
completing my university studies, I didn't necessarily take the sort of conventional path of getting into a particular area of work or work. You know, I, I don't necessarily like that sort of nine-to-five stereotype that everyone always does. I, I didn't go down that path, but that that's fine. And I guess in terms of the challenges there as someone looking to start their own sort of business that they feel really connected to, it's challenging because you know you, you obviously feel like this could go nowhere and um and you know i'm going to fall so far behind in life and it, you know as much as you you're not trying to compare yourself to people and all those things that, that it's just natural that that's going to take place you see um friends being promoted going through you know their their work and you know really sort of finding their path and it's it's steady and they know that they're going to be able to make this work as a source of sort of income for them to be able to live live their life and um and it's not about it being necessarily a, a lot of income or anything like that it's just it's a much steadier income than you're going to get from trying to start your own business which is very up and down and you don't necessarily know where you're going to get your next dollar from when you're first starting out and so that's a pretty scary process um, to to go down, and uh, and I guess at the time I was thinking this could be a complete waste of time. And reflecting on that, that's not at all true. It's it's going to be a learning process. It's going to be a very valuable um, process for you, regardless of of how it works out in terms of the actual business. So yeah, but at the moment, at at the time, it was it was challenging to not think, oh, is this the right path for me? That definitely sounds like a very very long journey. And it clearly seems like it ended pretty well with HSC Study Buddy being acquired, if I'm correct. Yeah, we ended up selling HSC Study Buddy and we, along the way, had come about, I guess, working with schools, the well-being side of things in, in schools. And that, that had always been close to sort of our passions and, and interests anyway. And what we felt then at that particular moment was that, well, what was really be- beneficial for, or for me going through my own challenges, you know, how could we emulate something that would be beneficial for students who might be going through similar challenges? And, and I, I harp on the, the challenges side of things because initially it did stem from that thinking, but I think it's morphed into much, much more than that um, because it's not just about, I'm going through a tough time, let's do something about it it's also sort of how do you if you are going through a good time how do you stay on that very much so and i find that's really pertinent with not just how do you bounce back from bad times but how do you keep the good times going as well well i'd like it if we could maybe move it towards that moment where after hsc study buddy was acquired and you guys decided to found scodal was that before after what was that moment like in a sense that if neither of you had clinical backgrounds, did you just decide let's jump in and let's learn? Yeah, exactly that. Um, we had done a lot of reading through our own interests, but we, we didn't have the clinical backgrounds. And we, at first, didn't think that that would be an issue. But obviously, one of the things is when you're developing these tools, um, which was an, you know another sort of young oversight here, we would say, look, let's let's do this with a school and we've got this. And then they would obviously say, well, sort of who's behind it, basically. And, and so that was a bit of a challenge initially to overcome was, well, we don't have that clinical expertise. And so we spent a long time finding the right person. We went um, and emailed a, a lot of different um, 
academics in the space. And one of the things that we found probably most challenging is we had this idea and direction of what it should be and nice simple engaging check-in tool for people to be able to sort of express their emotions and we found that a lot of the time it was becoming very very academic and going to work from a certainly from a young person standpoint you know what what is sort of academically sound doesn't always work from a practical standpoint and when we met Fuller he really changed that for us and we, we learned so we still learn so much from Andrew but what's great about Andrew is that he what he creates and and what he does is is engaging for teachers and young people as well and works in a practical setting in, in terms of the school and, and an example of that is you shouldn't have to have a PhD and this training required across every teacher to be able to pick up something from a check-in and be able to act on it as a teacher or, or make sense of what's taking place from a well-being standpoint. And, and because if they do have to do all this additional training and it takes so long to, to work out what, what's actually been said in this data, it becomes becomes a really time-consuming process, and by the time they do get there, it's it's often that student's sort of well-being has, has changed anyway. So Andrew was was really really good at making this super friendly for for staff and and te- um, and, and students. It sounds like Andrew was really instrumental in making Skoda what it is today and helping you guys develop this really amazing system of rapid check-ins. But there must have been several iterations before that, which might not have been, I guess, the best ideal solution or the solution that you guys have today. Do you happen to have any favorite failure or any moment prior to that where you guys were maybe building something that wasn't the best and you learned from it? Well, we we went down um, initially the path of having quite a rigid approach to wellbeing and we'd mapped out 15 domains of wellbeing that we were going to assess against and um, we were going to say this is a really short, easy check-in and it it was obviously quite lengthy. Um, We'd done a a full white paper based on the research that we had done looking at all of these areas and, you know, over time it sort of kept getting, the focus was narrower and narrower and narrower until we went, okay, let's, let's just focus on feelings and so it's a funny process when you look back at it and you see the sort of the simple tool that was produced and then my immediate thought is oh people are going to think why did it take you know three three years to develop this because this is this is really simple and so at the time that simplicity was sort of our in many ways our greatest strength about the platform but also it then posed a lot of questions around well this is easy to do anyway why don't we just sort of do this ourselves basically that's not not very hard and and you'd spent many many years <laughs> yeah um our first version I, I read something recently that was if you're not if you're not embarrassed by your first version or something you you didn't do it right or you're not learning enough or something like that it was and uh, i certainly felt that if we look back at time we've got all this doc this um documentation and we're going whoa thank goodness we didn't go down that path um <laughs> moving on slightly from that being able to dig through all these different areas of well-being and finally finalize that with Andrew. Did you guys get your first client after or before you started working with Andrew? Pretty much in line, actually. So we we had um, in November 2019, we had our very basic MVP go live. Um, and that's when we had about five or six schools trial it, um, which were really, really hard to, to get. Uh, and then 2020, we started working with Andrew, and that's when we got our first 
paying client as well. So the, we built up quite a big trial base there. And when I say MVP in 2019, that was the closest version to what Skodal is now in terms of that MVP. And that's when we started, okay, this is resonating really well. Let's build on it from here. We had previously done other things that didn't really go anywhere because it was too complicated. No, kids didn't engage with it. And so then we, we built on it from there. And yeah, about middle of 2020, we we did an official launch of Scodal saying, yeah, this, this, you know, this is the, the way to go with um, checking in, basically. On that note, you mentioned that getting those first three to four clients wasn't an easy task. How, how did you end up getting those schools? Because in all honesty, I find it really hard to believe that my school in high school would probably be down to use a tool like Scodal with the culture. I'm, I'm very curious, how did you manage to find schools or maybe convince them? Yeah, and it was just reaching out to anyone and everyone um, in in education to to say who's interested in in trying this. And at the time, the idea of a check in was was very new, and so it was sort of uncharted territory. And that made it even more challenging. This wasn't like you were going into okay, this is a tried and tested sort of product space. And so um, schools are they're busy places, and so adding new things and change and things like that you know it's like any other organization i guess it's it's challenging and so if you're the only one out there initially sort of doing it and there's no one else saying oh yeah this is a, a valid thing to do and worthwhile to do it's enormously challenging and we just reached out to pretty much everyone we could we, we went through facebook teacher groups and that's when we we met a lady who referred us to that school that i i mentioned who's sort of really they were the very first school to ever send a check-in and they've they've laid the blueprint for you know best practice around scodal we feel and they've um they've been great with it uh, that was that was really how we got out there Wow. Well, what, what a crazy process, just emailing and emailing and constantly trying to reach out. Well, I must imagine that, like you mentioned, check-in would have been a very, very new concept back then. And I'd say even so today, I don't really see many other tools similar to Skodal out there. Did you guys have any moments where maybe not having that many competitors was a challenge that you felt like maybe that was indicative of maybe this just hasn't been done and therefore it probably shouldn't have been done? Were there any moments like that? Oh, big time. Um, I, and initially, I was thinking, we're first out there in this. This is the best thing to do. We can you know, really lead the charge and all these sorts of things, which I guess is, is true if you have a really big budget and, you can, and you're a brand name like Google or Microsoft. You launch things and it's a new way of doing things and everyone goes, well, we better do this because this big brand doing this. Um, but that's a real challenge if, if you are sort of not an established brand with not a lot of money and you're trying to sort of create and define a new segment that is awfully challenging and then when we started um, seeing some competitors enter we thought oh no this is terrible news but what it did was we'd then get a, an email from a school saying i've seen these tools come across my desk um i wanted to you know basically assess the market before making a decision um and so we wanted to review a few tools and we thought oh, okay well the conversation has changed a little now from do we even need this to which provider are we going to go with um which was a much easier barrier to overcome um it doesn't mean that you know you're going to win out all the time it's not a, not about that it's just that i think when people accept that okay this is a beneficial thing to do it's a legitimate thing that's much easier to overcome and you get a, a definitive answer okay we, we're going with you great we're not going with you 
initially, you know, that's terrible, sad news and you know, heartbreaking, but you, you at least get an answer, whereas before I think it can drag on and on. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure that it might have even been slightly even relieving or a bit of validation that competitors might have come in. And you mentioned previously that the first client that you guys had, the first school, really laid the blueprint out for what everything else should be like. So what are the characteristics that you see in schools that you go to and succeed, get those 90% check-in rates versus the ones that don't really see the most benefit? I think the, the number one thing is having a, a SCOTL champion, if you like, who's really leading the charge and getting buy-in. So having that sit a bit more centrally is really important because if you have it set up as, okay, we're adopting SCOTL, here's a tool that every teacher can sort of have at, basically, and you'll get teachers that will check in a lot, some teachers that will check in not you know, not as frequently, and then other teachers that won't, you know, necessarily even activate their account, and that's just because it's, you know, they're they're busy. So you're going to have uh, varying degrees of buy-in across the, the teaching force. But having it sit centrally meant that they this this particular person could really push it and drive the the adoption of it um, in the school, um, and and it can be managed pretty centrally. Um, anyway because it's quite a simple agile tool so that's pro that's number one then the second part is working out the the cadence and this this particular person checks in every two to five weeks mainly around events now that's not necessarily how it always should be used but he's got a very good feel for checking in uh, the, the right cadence for it so you can schedule say three or four check-ins at the start of term to go okay yeah we're going to check in on these particular times and then it's very manageable they customize the open-ended question there to make it really impactful for for students and they get a lot of interesting insights every time that they check in but then also i think initially people think well this is a really simple check-in tool we need to check in every day to get value out of it um, but you get a really good body of data checking in as as infrequently as three times a term Every, every two to four weeks, you can build up a really, really useful bank of well-being data. Wow. Well, what it sounds like you're saying there is that Skoda was a tool which can really, really build that big database, but also is much, much more effective when used with more active management. Yeah, I think like any software, um, from a technical aspect, software can be really easy to implement and um, and it's always down to that human behavior is none of us like a, a big change or anything. And so trying to you know make it as sort of you know, not a disruptive thing at all is really important. It does ultimately, Scotal's not hard at all to, to set up and everything technically. It's about that, that champion to really drive drive it and its use within the school and it only takes one person to really lead it and 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 this person that i'm that i was mentioning the very first person to send a check-in was a um a year six teacher and then he's since moved up in terms of his leadership position but initially just started it with with his class and now he runs it across about five or six hundred students primary school and then he onboarded a further thousand students so about 1600 students total and it, it just grew i mean we've seen lots lots of other cases like that i just refer to this particular person because he was the very first person to to ever send a check-in i'm not even sure if he knows that i kind of wanted to take a bit of a step back to something that you said earlier which is being first in the space it's 
quite good if you're a company like Google with lots of money. If you're a bit of a smaller business, it's a lot harder to grow that fast. Did you guys have a bit of a moment where you kind of realized, hey, maybe we should be raising money now? When did that moment to approach investors really hit you guys? When we started being clients on board, we started having feedback around the tool and as that sort of piled up, we went, this is becoming unmanageable. And I guess in a, um, a company that's going to charge quite a significant sum of money and only look, work with a few, you know, it's a lower volume thing, you can then get, get that, that money and then reinvest it straight into hiring. We were still managing that on our own with our, our co-founder, Huey, and it started to become a bit of a challenge. But above that, I guess, as well, we felt like we'd proved the concept and so we could go to investors and say, you know, this, this is working well. Um, we have clients that are, that are paying money and here, here's the feedback. You know, we're getting lots of really positive feedback. People want more. Um, they want continual updates and these sorts of things that are good signs. I think it's worrying if you have some people start using it and then you don't hear anything from them. That's probably a bit of a, bit of a red flag. It's nice, I guess, as a founder sometimes because it's emotional. You've got a lot invested emotionally about your, your product and hearing feedback is not the easiest thing to do all the time. But I actually look at it as, okay, well, it's good that um, they want it to be better. Um, they're using it, but they want it to be better and they want to see these other things come out. Definitely. Hearing maybe negative feedback is probably proof that they care, they're invested and they want to go in. And it sounds like you guys waited till money was the bottleneck before actually seeking investment. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's, it's an interesting, when is the right time is always a really tricky, there's no right answer there. But um, I think once you get a bit of customer advocacy and you know, validate the concept, I do think proving it, not always easy to do this. Sometimes you, you can't afford to build the software yourself um, because of whatever the, the software is or the technology is. But as much as you can, I think it's important to try and build it and get it to a point where you have some people that are paying you for what you're providing. Yeah, you because know, that's that's a really good indicator. Is once they once they make that decision to spend money to say, yeah, I, I really value what you've what you've developed here. That's a really awesome indicator. That's really interesting. To round this interview out a little bit, I, I wanted to take a bit of a step out of right now and probably move a bit more towards the future. Given that you guys have a lot more investment now, a lot more capabilities, I'm curious about your general vision of the mental health space, especially in youth education. How do you see Skodal playing into that ecosystem in like, say, three years, five years? What's that going to look like? And how is Skodal going to fit into that space? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. And I guess, broadly speaking, one of the big things that we want to do is make well-being everyone's business. And by that, we mean that ultimately, if we want to really improve well-being and mental health, we have to have kids take ownership of it to start to improve their own well-being. Because there are a couple of ways that you can go about it. And you can, you know, one being that you can deliver programs and content to students about areas of well-being and sometimes that'll fall on deaf ears or it won't be relevant, you know, if it's around sleep or other things and students don't feel connected to the content because it's not something that they're personally sort of wanting to improve, then, you know, it, they can sort of disengage there with that content. And so ultimately, if we can get them working through and directing their own improvement, um, we're able to, to maximise it. And the research will sort of will, will back that up as well around the importance of student agency in, in that process um, and the impact that that has on effect sizes and other things like that. 
Yeah, from a, I guess, a more specific product standpoint, obviously we've got the wellbeing planning tool and we want to continue to work on that idea of check-in, um, reflecting, learning about yourself, managing tricky situations in the moment so that they don't then sort of lead you down a really bad path because you struggle with one thing and then the next thing leads to another and all these sorts of things. So that in the moment. Um, and then obviously longer term, the planning side of things. But that, that in the moment one is an interesting one um, around how far we, we might go with that in terms of automated counselling flow there because we start with a very good base around really collecting the feelings, understanding the feelings, the situations, people or events that are that the person is you know, saying that these are, these are contributing to me feeling this way. So we have a pretty good understanding initially and then we can start walking through, I guess, how some sort of counselling flow to support them through that. So how, how far we go with that. Initially, we've, we've started with simple sort of tips and tricks on, on those situations, managing those situations and feelings. But it could get eventually, I think, five to ten years down the track, it could be much more sort of free-flowing dialogue between um, students and, and this counselling flow to then respond and go as if there is a counsellor on the other end who's able to support them through and through that situation. So that's, I think, an interesting area to, that we'll, we'll be exploring. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm really, really curious to see you know, how, how that all plays out. We, we feel that there's definitely good validity in, in doing that, that more sort of extended counselling flow. For sure. I'm curious, as a last question, Ian, before we round this out a little bit, which lessons across this entire journey have really stuck with you? How has building Skodal and HSC Study Buddy really taught you or what sticks with you today? Probably the number one thing is that it, it always takes longer than you want it to or expect it to. So having that patience, you've got to have it's, it's a bit cliche, but you do have to genuinely believe in, in what you're doing because you're going to face periods of doubt about all of this and then you've got to sort of pull on that, all of that belief in uh, what you're actually doing here. But the main message is definitely that it's, it's going to take longer than you, you want it to and, and expect it to. So you have to, you have to be willing to persist and persist with it. It's always breaking through that early bit and being willing to accept it will take longer yeah all links will be in the show notes but ian if people wanted to get in touch with you and wanted to have a chat or learn more about skodal or maybe if some schools were listening at all were curious whereabouts would they be able to find you who are you interested in talking to and how would they get in contact yeah they can um the best place would be through our website um, www.skodal.com uh, and uh and there's the contact form there so um, reach out and uh, make a mention that you, you were listening to, to Wilson and, and, and myself and um, yeah, we'll get around to it. Always happy to chat. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Ian. Um, really appreciate the chat. Have a great day. And that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure to leave us a like, give us a download, make sure to star on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And see you next time.